1: Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important IU basketball stories from the past seven days. This is our 77th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 405th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, May 24th, 2018. Jared has the week off, so I'm your host this week, Andy Bottoms. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier proud Banner moment. You know, banner moments are often hard to come by in the offseason, and this week was no exception until I received a note from Jared this morning about the issues facing former IU football coach Bill Mallory. Coach Mallory's son, Kurt, later shared the news on Twitter that he recently suffered a fall and had to undergo emergency brain surgery. Based on his response to the surgery, they've started hospice, which leads me to this somewhat unconventional and certainly non-basketball-related banner moment. While I have A lot of great IU basketball-related memories to look back on from my time growing up in Indiana, like the 1987 title, watching Calbert Chaney, trying to find ways to stay up to watch uh, Big Monday or Super Tuesday games that started at 9 o'clock on a school night, uh, and sometimes being woken up by my mom pounding on the coffee table and yelling at the TV anyway. Um, Despite all that, some of my fondest IU sports memories came from the IU football team, and more specifically, those led by Coach Mallory. Uh, The first year my dad decided to get season tickets was actually Mallory's first season in Bloomington, and that was the season, uh, as those who have followed the program know, that IU went 0-11. and Uh, We enjoyed it so much, though, uh, that we only got two tickets that first year, and so my dad would alternate between taking my mom and I, and I quickly made it clear that I didn't want to miss any games, so the next season we ordered three, a number that wouldn't change until I went to school at IU when it went down to two, and then again after I got married when it went back up to four. Uh, and so those games during the Mallory era were special times for us to spend together as a family, and they're memories that I cherish to this day. Got there early to tailgate, met a, a, one of the most passionate and knowledgeable IU fans that I've I've ever come in contact with, whose name is is Ray, may he rest in peace. And uh, he would all, always be good for a, a good one-liner about how much he hated Kentucky fans or Ohio State fans, but I think my favorite was one when I came out and asked him about the game. Uh, after it was over, and he greeted me with the, we took care of William, but had a hell of a time with Mary after a game that was a little too close for comfort. Uh, so we saw some rough football over the years, and we, but we also saw greatness in the form of guys like Anthony Thompson, Ernie Jones, Dave Schnell, and a number of others, and we saw Mallory eventually turn the program around and, and sat in the stands to watch IU beat Ohio State and Michigan. Uh, the Michigan game in particular is memorable because the weather was miserable, but nine-year-old me uh, refused to leave, And to this day, I don't let my dad live it down that they haven't beat Michigan since then. So, uh, you know, he'll thank me for uh, making us sit there. We went to the Liberty Bowl and froze our rear ends off uh, when they beat South Carolina. And and all in all, so many memories uh, of IU football during that era uh, were kind of a banner moment for my childhood, if I want to really shoehorn the reference in there. And so as many of you know, Jared's coach during that time period. And earlier today, he shared a note that he got from Mark Deal, who coached under Mallory, and today is the assistant athletic director for alumni relations. And as Mark mentioned in his note to former players, or the Mallory men, as they are so proudly called, he has helped all of us with so many things in the past, now it is our turn to lift him up through our prayers for him. Toughness was certainly a hallmark of Mallory teams during that era, and I honestly can't remember a negative word ever being said about him, specifically the grace and emotion with which he handled his firing after having taken IU to football heights that few, if any, expected. And former QB Trent Green summed it up pretty well on Twitter today when he said he helped mold thousands of young men through the game of football. He's had a lasting impact on my life and countless others. Integrity, toughness, and hard work only begin to describe Bill Mallory. And I'm sure the fondness I feel for Coach Mallory and the sadness I felt when hearing this news pales in comparison to the feelings of those who played and coached for him. And in some ways, I guess that's the magic of sports, where someone I've never met helped shape my love of IU and was a central figure in some of my best family memories. So in this difficult time for the Mallory family, I'd ask that all of you send your thoughts, prayers, positive vibes, whatever you believe in to Bill and his family. He's a true Hoosier icon who will always hold a special place in my heart and my mind. And with that, I will introduce, introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. To my left, he is an assistant basketball coach at Western High School, the founder of the world-renowned Delphi Bracketology Club, the host of Talking Hoosier Baseball, who had a—and uh, the, the IU baseball team had a big comeback win today uh, in the Big Ten Tournament, And more importantly, proud papa to a recent IU graduate. He is the coach, Brian Tonsoni. Coach, it's Tonsoni time. What's on your mind?
2: Thanks, Andy. Uh, Thanks for having me tonight. Uh, I just want to also say a shout out to Coach Mallory and his family. I I am fortunate enough to – my brother-in-law is a Mallory man, uh, played uh, and graduated. His last senior year was 1993. We've been texting back and forth today a little bit, and – that group is is tight knit and I've been able to fortunately witness that um through my brother in law Ross Hales, uh, who is a tight end at that time so uh i I grew into foot, i u football the same time you did Andy I was a little bit older I was actually attending class when you were uh nine and ten and and so um those memories of, of all those games that you mentioned the Michigan Ohio State are very fond memories for me and the reason why I've been a season ticket holder ever since so thoughts out um to to that family and to all the Mallory men. It was an outstanding time, and and he was an outstanding uh, coach, and uh, we we hoped um, for the best for his family and all of that. Uh, Basketball-wise, it's summer, and uh, it is time to have uh, all the news of the All-Star Games and then to see the athletes start reporting uh, to the campus. Always an exciting time for fans from a coaching uh, perspective, and we'll talk about this a little bit later. Uh, it's a time to uh, be able to be with your team in a development stage and get the, the ball started on what we all think is going to be an exciting year.
1: Absolutely. And to my left, he is our longest serving intern. He's a young man who serves fresh hot takes regularly on Twitter. He is studying sports media at Indiana University and is following up last summer's internship at the Big Ten Network with an internship at the Mothership in Bristol starting here in the next couple of weeks. He is Michael Dugan. Michael, what's on your mind as we get rolling tonight?
3: Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, and I want to follow up, Andy, on your banner moment. I was—I never saw a Bill Mallory team play, um, but his impact on on IU athletics and IU football is undeniable. So, obviously, sending my thoughts and and my prayers and positive vibes to him and his family. Um, but what's what stuck out to me today actually was is something small, and I guess this sounds very millennial of me, but uh, Indiana men's basketball Instagram account. Uh, posted a, a graphic of Demise Anderson, and the quote from Demise said um, that this this group, this team, is going to be a brotherhood that's going to be unstoppable on and off the court. And it's a small sentence, and it doesn't mean much, you know, in terms of what we can expect this year, X's and O's wise or record wise from this team. Um, but to me, teams that can bring in chemistry onto the court from off the court usually fare well, and they're fun to watch when they can click. Um, not only on the court, but also off the court. You can see that kind of blend together. And especially considering how good this incoming freshman class is and can be, I don't know, this one, th- this meant a little more than just a one-sentence quote on the Indiana Men's Basketball Instagram page. And I-, I looked at the top two comments on it, and they were from Robert Johnson and Freddie McSwain. So to see two outgoing seniors kind of respond to some incoming freshman's quote, and, you know, it kind of gave me— it had it showed a little bit of a bond, albeit a tiny bond, you know, for, with the outgoing senior class and the incoming freshman class. So that's a little, a tiny little something that that stuck out to me and had me a little bit excited that, you know, this freshman class might be an extremely, extremely tight-knit group considering all that talent. It's, it's a promising feeling.
1: Yeah, it's certainly a good one for such a foundational class for what Archie Miller wants to do. So it's a good... Uh... Albeit a short a short sentence, as you said, it's a good start, and uh, I think should should make people feel good about what those guys are going to be able to accomplish. So that uh, here are the topics and questions we're going to address this week. So uh, on Wednesday, some APR uh, the latest APR results were released. We're going to talk a little bit about that, not only uh, you know how IU fared, but just a little bit more about how that score is calculated. Because I know Brian and I before we wanted to talk about this, tried to do some research, and he did the heavy lifting on uh, on finding a good resource for that. So we'll kind of talk people through that because I know that's a question. Uh, I think the first question that responded to uh, to Jared's call for uh, questions on Twitter was related to that. Uh, quick uh, thoughts on Romeo revealing what appears to be his jersey number. Uh, we'll get Michael's perspective as a student and Brian's as a coach. I think it's it's always fun as we get you know different people on, uh, particularly in the off season, to kind of go through and uh, you know get get thoughts on what is unique to them and the perspective that they bring. So uh, looking forward to doing that and hitting a few questions there. Uh, and then we also got a handful of questions on Twitter, so we'll try to make sure that we uh, that we hit all those. So. All of that coming here on Assembly Call Radio, and uh, let's dive right in. So the first story uh, that came up this week, so multi-year APR score um, came out on Wednesday, as I said. Uh, IU saw that fall for the third straight year, so inside the hall uh, had a write-up on this, and, and basically the gist of it, the multi-year score released Wednesday of 9.43 reflects an average of Tom Crean's final four seasons in Bloomington and puts the program in just the 10th to 20th percentile nationally uh, among all men's basketball programs, so Again, there's a lag time in when these are reported. Uh, So keep in mind that it doesn't have anything to do with the guys who have recently graduated. They're not turning it around that fast. So this is all four years of this were the last four years uh, for Tom Crean. And so the one note kind of where a cutoff would be, because that 943 in and of itself doesn't mean a great deal. um, To compete in the 2018-19 postseason, teams must achieve a 930 four-year APR. NCAA members chose the standard because that score predicts, on average, a 50% graduation rate for teams at that APR level. Additionally, teams must earn at least a 9.30 four-year APR to avoid penalties. So, um, so Brian, since you you look this up, I'm going to give you the first stab at, uh, at at explaining how the APR actually works in layman's terms, and then we'll uh, we'll see how that far that gets us, and then we'll we'll kind of go from there and get into more of the IU-centric part. So, what was the kind of big takeaway from you in terms of how that worked?
2: Uh, thanks a lot cuz I'm not sure it's all that easy to to share but you're a teacher I did so learn I just some, assume that this would yeah. come naturally more naturally to you than
1: either of the rest of us yeah. so well, I'm giving you first I'll try
2: to do, I'll try to do my my first uh real quick 30 second lesson on the APR <laughs> um but basically there are two possible points for each scholarship uh so in basketball there's 13 scholarships there's a possible each year of 26 is the way I gathered it uh if uh you get two points if a player is retained for the spring semester and academically eligible. Uh, You get one point if a player is academically eligible, but leaves the institution during the year at some point Uh, you get uh, one point. If a player stays at the institution, but is academically ineligible and you get zero points. If a player leaves um, the institution and it, is not academically ineligible that is the rules per the NCAA.org website that Andy and I were were looking at. I think there's still for for me a lot of questions within that, especially with early uh, exit NBA people who who might be eligible uh, is, is that uh, a hit to the APR um, you yeah, know so actually,
1: actually to that point, I did find something else on Twitter, so this is a uh, good the person. Uh, michelle Hosick, i'm gonna uh, maybe may or may not be saying that correctly but it's at ncaa michelle on twitter and it seemed like there had been some other questions and so her response was if a player leaves for pro sports opportunities he or she has to be eligible to not adversely impact the team apr if they transfer to another school they have to have a 2.6 GPA to not hurt the team only players on the roster at the start of a term impact that terms apr so I think the big questions people have are around the transfers and guys going and people going pro. So that was the best thing that I could find that at least attempted to, uh, to, to shed some light on that piece of thing. So for what it's worth, that appears to be how uh, that appears to be how that works.
2: And, and so they, you accumulate points. And if you have uh 25 and, and one person is, let's say academically ineligible on a basketball team, uh, but stays with the program, you have 25 out of 26, there's a division. Uh, and then uh, multiplication to get your three-digit number. Uh, the, and, and so that that's the core of the APR. And so basically, in four-year average, needs to be 930. So in four years, if I did my math right, and Andy, you're more of a math guy than I, I am. I'm a social studies uh, teacher. But I think you can have seven or eight points that uh, count against you over that four-year segment uh, to be at 930. Um, and that's where they get their 50 percent, I think, seven of uh, 13 scholarships. So, um, you know, so that, that's the formula now, whether like a Curtis Jones, what his GPA was, we I don't know. Um, does he count because it was mid-year, not the end of the year? Those are things that I still would probably want to answer. But I think it, it is... Um, that, that is part of, of the issue is we've had some people leave for transfer purposes and, and what was their GPA and what was their standing at the time of transfer uh, for the, the numbers being a little bit lower than what they were in, in Coach Crean's early times.
1: Yeah, so I'm going I'm to kind of cut us off here. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come back and talk a little bit more about what that all kind of means from an IU perspective. Now that we at least have what we hope is a, a baseline level of understanding of how it works to kind of talk about maybe what this means.
4: With. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over 250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player fine. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over 250 million play now please play responsibly must be 18 years or older to purchase player
1: client. you're listening to the assembly call i'm andy bottoms here with the coach brian tonsoni and our student intern michael dugan one quick note if you ever have to miss all or part of an episode of assembly call radio there are two great ways to catch up you can subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts just search for assembly call or if you are a truly dedicated Hoosier and Assembly Call fan, you can watch our live broadcast on Thursday nights and participate in the live chat on YouTube. You'll get all of the in-between segment banter that doesn't make it onto the radio or the podcast edit. So subscribe on YouTube channel, on the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash assembly call. Uh, so we're talking a little bit about the APR numbers that came out. And we were talking a little bit off the air. It would have been uh, you know, good in-between segment banter trying to do the math on this to really try to figure it out. So dependent upon how you interpret some of the things that we talked about before? Um, you know, we we weren't sure whether, you know, do basketball because it spans multiple semesters. Do you, you know, is it instead of 26 points, is it 26 points that you're eligible for for each semester? Uh, I don't think we know that. I think it um, seems at least reasonable to assume um, that some of last year's issues were, were some combination of the early entrants that were there. Maybe that's not the case, but I think that's where people's minds would typically go. Um, But again, it doesn't encompass this past season when you saw, you know, Robert Johnson, Josh Newkirk, Freddie McSwain, Tim Priller, Colin Hartman graduate. So presumably those are those are good signs. Um, Michael, from your perspective, these numbers give you any cause for concern or is it, you know, kind of puts a bow on the the Korean era and everything moves forward? Really nothing to see here, nothing to worry about.
3: I think it's probably in the middle of those two ends, I, I think because of the beginning of the Korean era, how well this team performed in the APR aspect of it to kind of rebound and see the second leg of his tenure at IU and like this, I, it's, I wouldn't say it's concerning. I don't think that's the right word, but I would say it's a little not not even quite perplexing. I can't think of the, the perfect word for it, the word I'm trying to use here, but it, it, it's it's Not exactly concerning, but it's more than just brush it off, nothing to see here. I think it's more toward nothing to see here. Um, I don't think it's terribly significant. This team isn't in serious jeopardy of, of being in trouble, dipping below that 930 mark. But to see such a drastic drop over the tenure of Tom Crean as the team got more and more relevant nationally speaking and really in the Big Ten, there's a little something there. But again, obviously, he's not in Bloomington anymore, so I wouldn't say that there's much to worry about you know, Tom Crean related there, but I, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's concerning.
1: Uh You know, Brian, one of the things this was, I think, a, a show we talked about the some of the offseason last year, maybe it was toward the end of, of the Crean era. And it was a little bit about uh, the question was essentially what what is the identity of the program under Tom Crean? And I think most of us who were on there and it, it may just have been Ryan, Jared and I, at the time, one of the things we talked about, I think we talked player development and finding, you know, some of those unheralded guys. But the other thing we talked about was the the focus on uh, academics, you know, perhaps in contrast to the you know Samson era and all those kinds of things that were there. Um, does seeing these numbers go down over the latter part of his tenure make you view him any differently?
2: No, and I haven't made up my mind, Andy, yet how serious I want to take APR because I have a lot of respect for Marnie Mooney and the job that she did, uh, as an academic advisor for the basketball team. So I believe academics under coach Crean were very much emphasized. I think it has to do more with the transfer part of it. Um, and it maybe has to do with getting some, uh, players in who either transferred and then didn't finish strong for a semester or maybe left early for the NBA and didn't finish. Um, and while there's several things that, uh, in that era, that bother me, um, academics was not one of them. And and someone in the chat uh, said that they believe Kentucky had real high APR scores and they're sending people to the pros all the time. And that's probably that pro exception. I, I think as an educator, I'm not a big number guy, whether it's a, a test score or all this stuff that's in education right now. And I, I applaud the APR for making sure that we, Hold schools accountable for uh, having kids get an education, but I think looking at that by itself um, is just a part of the whole whole process. So, no, I I, I will always uh, appreciate Coach Crean and Marnie Mooney for their academic efforts, and I don't think the APR reflects their concern.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's definitely fair, and uh, like I hope hopefully the way I asked that question didn't make it seem like that I I did, but um, I thought it was worth worth discussing. No, I wasn't. That. Um, I wasn't
2: saying that, but APR is always thought of as your emphasis on academics. Yep. And, and obviously, I think Crean and, and his staff wanted kids to go to class. I think that's very, very obvious. Yep. Totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, well, the other bit of news that
1: came out about IU this week uh, was, uh, I think, Romeo Linker posted this on Instagram, uh, basically a. a a picture of him in a in an IU jersey wearing number zero with the hashtag Agent Zero with it. So um, doesn't feel like a huge leap to suggest that that means he's going to wear uh, wear zero at IU. I guess you know Al Durham has number one, which is what he wore in high school. So um, that that I guess is is where he did that, uh, and maybe just want to go with something different. Uh, brief history of who wore that number, uh, most notably in in recent years at least. So Will Sheehy wore it for two of his four years at IU. Uh, in 2013 and 2014, uh, we averaged uh, first year nine and a half points a game, three and a half rebounds. The second year, his senior season, uh, 11.4 points per game and four rebounds. Uh, Max Bielfeld uh, wore it in 2016 uh, when he was there, when he shot 45 percent from three and, and scored eight points a game. I think those are the two we did. I think it was last offseason, maybe the offseason before we kind of went tried to go through, started going through number by number. Uh, who the who the best IU player was to wear it so I think the debate we had was between those two and I think we were split as I recall and then Curtis Jones uh up to the middle of last season uh wore that most recently and uh and he obviously transferred opened up that number and uh so it looks like that's what Romeo will wear uh I don't really know that there's a a, a, a any kind of meaningful question to be asked here but uh but Michael anything uh anything surprised you about that anything that make you any more excited about the Romeo Langford era that he'll be uh He'll be wearing the number zero, as I'm sure you'll find many of those at uh, bookstores around campus come uh, come fall.
3: Maybe oh, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, maybe now. Uh, I I'll put a little bit of fun into this one. I I think that you know having a guy like Romeo, he's got all of the marketability from an IU standpoint that you could possibly have. He's born and raised the Hoosier, coming to IU obviously, uh, and nationally relevant talent and a likely bright future in the NBA. So he's got all the marketability there, but. You know, I think that this kind of adds a little bit to it. It kind of makes him a little more attractive to fans, especially the younger audience. And when I saw that, I I thought initially of a guy playing baseball in New York by the name of Aaron Judge. You look at him, he plays for the Yankees. He's nine and a half feet tall. He hits home runs literally out of Yankee Stadium. He's got everything that you could possibly have as an athlete in that city. To be considered marketable, and on top of it, he's number ninety-nine. You know, it's it's nothing significant, but it's just a little something extra that kind of adds to it. And I think Romeo kind of has everything there is to have athletically speaking, and you know, being from the state, obviously, in terms of marketability there. And adding number zero, it's a little bit of the unique thing for him, and or just for a basketball player. And he's got a pretty good nickname, Agent Z. Rowe ro obviously the first two letters of his name i so i don't know i it's it's not terribly significant obviously in the grand scheme of things but in terms of marketability and potential attraction from younger audiences i think it adds a little something to it
1: because i uh because i want to be completely transparent i did not pick up on the row in the end of that until you changed. <laughs> So just just so everybody knows i'm that slow <laughs> brian any any lingering thoughts for you on romeo's jersey number or are you ready to move on to
2: something it was other? no was, did wasn't it she he was it in 2013 at Mackey when he flexed after scoring was yeah. he wearing zero at the time
1: i i think so but i i don't know so, for sure i'm sure so somebody so i'm can sitting here
2: i'm sitting here visualizing Romeo going off at Mackey and having a part two of the bicep flex with the cheer block in the back like uh it. that 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 picture is iconic uh for us uh hoosier fans especially for us hoosier fans that live up here uh by purdue so um that's what i'm thinking about with zero
1: all right i like it i like it you're listening to the assembly call i'm andy bottoms filling in this week for jared morris and i'm here with the coach brian tonsoni and our student intern michael dugan and uh, as i mentioned at the top of the show there are a couple of things that i wanted to get michael's take on uh because uh as the one of us who uh although not right now um but over the course of the season was actually in bloomington uh and had a, a probably a better pulse on things than we did. Uh there was a couple of things I wanted to get his perspective on while we had the opportunity to have him on. So the first was uh you know a lot of uh, a lot of back and forth with people about students not showing up for tickets, uh not using their tickets, not showing up at games. Um I don't want to rehash what happened last year, although if 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 that your thoughts on that provide context to your answer to this question that's fine, but um you know with Romeo coming with this recruiting class, um that changing or do you think there's just something kind of fundamental about the, the interest in the program or the makeup of the student body or you know whether people are just more comfortable watching games at home or on the computer or things like that do you think that changes this year how much of a bump do you think that really provides
3: um that's a good question i i think first and foremost home losses to Fort Wayne and Indiana state, I think aren't going to help the Hoosiers in this situation or losses of that caliber. So I think that, and all, you know, all, all, joking aside, I think that seriously put a damper on student interest levels last season, especially because they didn't really come up with a huge win down the stretch. Maybe that Notre Dame game, but that was the first Saturday of winter break. So most students in the middle of the afternoon, most students probably weren't paying attention to that. Um, although they probably should have, cause that was a great game, but no, I, I think the excitement, surrounding romeo's commitment on the 30th back in april uh the attention that that received from students i tweeted out that was the first day of finals week and walking around campus you know just passing by people having conversations a lot of people were talking about him i heard the name romeo and i heard romeo day a handful of times so I, i think that there was a genuine buzz surrounding his commitment and i think that if this team can get off to a hot start early in the season we look at you know games like Illinois last year. Granted, that was at like 9 o'clock on a Wednesday on Valentine's Day. So understandable that not a ton of students show up, but that was terrible. I think those games are going to be in the past. And I don't think that there will be a Duke-Michigan State type of crowd that there were for those games last year every night. But I think that the Romeo commitment, especially that week on campus, had a serious jolt in energy of the student body. And I would fully expect the attendance pending a couple more unforgivable home losses early in the season next year, I'd expect it to jump drastically.
1: All right. So the other thing I wanted to get your thoughts on, uh, you know, obviously the recruiting class Romeo is the headliner. People are excited about getting Indiana guys, but from a student's perspective and, and particularly one like yourself, who certainly you're, you're from uh, the Chicago area. So not far away from Indiana, but at a school that um, that certainly has a lot of out of state people. Does the, does the notion of getting quote unquote Indiana guys really, matter to student fans uh, at this point, or is that or is that kind of overblown?
3: I think that depends on who you ask, and I think, you know, you're right, at the, at, and on one hand, there are a lot of kids that go to IU that are from out-of-state, but on the other hand, most of the people that go to IU are still from Indiana, so I think at least that demographic of basketball fans certainly care, and I think that it's great news for them, and I think when you talk about the out-of-state kids, myself included, I think it's great, and I don't have the same feel, and my finger is not on the pulse as well as it is of those who grew up in Indianapolis and, and people from the state that went to IU or go to IU. Um, I don't quite understand it much like they do for obvious reasons. I'm not from the state, but you know, to me and to uh, thousands of other students, I think it matters. And I, I, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people. Most people don't really understand. I, I don't. I don't want to go down that road actually. Um, but I, I feel like it matters a lot to, to a handful of people and to enough people that go to IU, because again, there are a lot of people that go to IU from the state of Indiana that really appreciate how much this means for the program. Uh, you don't need me to elaborate on that. We've talked about that for a couple of months now, but I, I think it does matter to the majority of students. So I think that that's going to have a pretty big impact.
1: Brian, what are your thoughts on that? I, I know we've, we've had some conversation here about, you know, the, the notion of getting Indiana guys and what that really means, but do you, Kind of, where do you place the importance on that? What what angle do you come at
2: that from? I um, I think it might help just a little bit, but I think getting good guys uh, will get the students back in the in the section more than anything. And and, and I think, uh, uh, Michael was just right. The the whole everyone in who is a Hoosier fan is just really excited about Romeo. Uh, I'm already thinking about how I'm going to snag tickets. Um, next year because the price on StubHub are, is going to go up for even some of the uh, marginal games. So I think it helps. I, I think the students, it's just winning. And um, the consistent winning will make that a, a, a top ticket again instead of up and down, up and down. And even in the year years we won, as we've talked over and over, that we had a rough start, then won the Big Ten. And, and I think um, you have a couple losses like we did last year and no one really big on the roster. So I think winning and good guys will get students back in and it'll be loud and rocking in assembly.
1: Yeah. It's one of those things that I think is uh, people certainly take pride in the, you know, having you guys in there, what a basketball hotbed IU is. But I think if we go back to prior shows, I've always said, I don't think anybody would not come in to watch a really good basketball team if nobody on the roster was from Indiana. Um, so it's something that I think is, is good to talk about, but, Um, Ultimately, I think, as you said, getting good guys is is more important. So, uh, we come back. We're going to hit a couple topics I want to get Brian's perspective as a coach on. So, hit those and we'll uh, start to dive into some of your questions. So, we'll do that after the break. Stick with us here on Similar Call Radio. You are listening to the assembly call go to assemblycall.com right now to learn how to subscribe to our email newsletter or you can simply text iu to 66866 if you want to get more out of being an iu basketball fan then you need to be on our newsletter list you'll get our weekly six banner sunday news roundups as well as our postgame analysis emails once the season begins it's all free and will make you a smarter iu basketball fan so go to assemblycall.com or text iu to 66866 I'm Andy Bottoms, filling in this week for Jared Morris, and I'm here with the coach Brian Tonsoni and our student intern Michael Dugan. Uh, so whenever we have Brian on, I always like to try to get his uh, coach's perspective on something, and so he actually tossed something out uh, as we were talking about ideas for the show, and that was really the the off season work uh, and and kind of what time coaches get and how they can and, and maybe should allocate it. So uh, again, Brian was heavily involved in the research department this week, so he did uh, he reached out and found out about. Uh, And the offseason coaches get eight hours total per week, four hours on court, four hours in the weight room. And the on court hours can be divided any way programs would like between team uh, and individual. So, um, so, Brian, you know, first question for you related to that. What does that extra time really allow for? uh, Or maybe how would you use it if you were in in Archie's shoes is, is maybe the better way to ask the question.
2: And you know there's still some things that i would I would want to ask of of some people that I know in the coaching profession, like do individual workouts groups of two or three in the past I think they they can have two or three in groups, but they are allowed now to have the team uh I believe, and so uh, how do you divide those four hours on the court? What is the division between teamwork uh team practice versus your individual work and and there's two thoughts: one, you need better players um you know i wish i could remember right now this isn't my saying so uh, it, i could give accurate credit but do you want uh, you want better you know a better team with better players at the end of of the season not just better play so you got to balance the the team aspect with you know guys need to be able to dribble and need to be able to shoot and they're only going to do that with good hard individual work uh, so i would not go all 4 hours uh, putting in offense and defense uh, in talking to some of the people at a couple of universities, what I found out is they're probably going to split the four hours. Half of it will be uh, a team on the court, and another the other half will be uh, individual workouts split up in probably half hours. Uh, a good workout, thirty minutes. If you go hard, you can get a lot of skill development in thirty minutes. And so I think you'll see coaches go either thirty or forty-five minutes in their individual workouts, and then uh, the extra time on the court uh, I think does benefit. Putting in your offense and your defense, so uh, that's how I would do it. I would probably do two one-hour team sessions and then split up the remaining two hours into individual groupings, uh, and then I would, you know, let the weight coach do what he wants to do in, in the weight room.
1: Yeah, I, I want to ask this question to both of you. Mike, I'll let you take this one first, but you know, with such a, a young team, a team made up of of a lot of newcomers. How how do you think the makeup of this year's team would influence, might influence how Archie allots that time this offseason? Maybe different than what he would have done last offseason. Uh,
3: I well, I think the fact that there are a lot of newcomers coming in, you know, it, that definitely makes it a lot more difficult for Archie for a number of reasons, especially when you consider that. Some of these guys, and I won't name names because, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not entirely sure, but I can infer some of these guys are further along the path of getting significant playing time than others. So some guys may need more individual development than others. I would feel like Romeo is pretty darn close to a plug and play guy or as close as it gets for an incoming freshman, Um, you know, compared to maybe other guys that need a little bit of individual work in terms of shooting, dribbling, passing coach, like you said. Um, so I think that this makes it difficult for Archie and his staff in the sense that not everyone is on the same page. And you look at last year, they still had a relatively, you know, a moderately large incoming recruiting class. And a couple of those guys played throughout the season. But, you know, you do got a lot of guys that and even Deron Davis didn't play much last season coming off a pretty bad injury. So, you got a lot of guys that aren't all on the same page, and especially when a lot of them are freshmen, it's pretty tough to, you know, maybe get them all in sync throughout the summer. So, you know, once you have everybody on the same page going into the season, I think you can adre- start to address the, the offense and the defense and focus on that more. But right now, some of these freshmen are further behind and further ahead you know, than their fellow classmates. So I think that's going to make it a lot more difficult than, than last season.
1: Yeah, Brian, how do you think that changes the way he might allocate the balance of time between individual and, and team work?
2: I, I agree with what Michael said, that you have different people at different levels. But one of the things that will help offset that, Michael, is the fact that you have veterans who already know the terminology, know the drills. And the veterans, even even a non-team allotted time, if they're in working on their own, the, the, the veterans – can help, uh, especially once Jawan gets back on campus and some of those things, they can help speed that up for a variety of things. Where Michael's absolutely right is you have a unique talent in, in, in coming in. Um, and so how do, you, how do you prepare the team for that? Uh, you're going to run Archie Miller's offense and everything like that, but when you have a special person like that, you want to start getting that going. Um, I think it helps more defensively uh, because you have an extra you know you have an extra hour if you want to go the split way uh to be working on on the pack line but i do think this year's team is is if you think romeo's only for one year you want to be as successful as possible in that year so the the time is sped up too that's where i agree with michael as well you, you want to speed up and and win while you have him here and in order to do that um you got to get that defense going the way you want to as much as possible and you have a lot of incoming guys that you're going to rely on so uh, that, that extra time on the court with your team, I think can help in, 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 that way.
1: So if you, if we, we left the, if you could ask Archie a question at the end of the, uh, at the end of the off season and he said, all right, if you can only accomplish one thing in the off season. What do you think he would say? Um, Brian, I'll throw that one to you first.
2: Oh, shooting. Uh, the, the, <laughs> they've got to be able to knock down shots and I think he did that by getting a signed national letter of intent and maybe not knock down three, deadly three all the time, but a scorer. Um, So that was accomplished without a whole lot of of work. But you're better off as a team if you get multiple players who are threats to score. And that comes with your ball handling, your passing, your understanding the offense and and doing those things. I've always thought, and I don't know if this is plays in the college game, but I, I always thought summers were for offensive development, team and player and then when we come in in the fall, we're going to work heavy, heavy on defense. Um, and, and that's not like you never worked on defense in the summer. But it, it was a time to get people t- uh, to work on their offensive games. And I probably would lean that way, again, at the high school level. I don't know. Um, maybe change this year because of the makeup of the team. And you can and, uh, teach that pack line stuff to, ki- uh, to kids who might not have played that. You might do a little bit more of that.
1: Michael, what about you? What's the what's the one thing that you think he'd say? Uh, I I hate to be content with only getting better at one thing. Yeah, but
3: yeah, (laughs) of course. Now we know that one. Um, I don't know. I I hate to agree with coach here because that doesn't make for great listening. But I think shooting uh, with how many close games this team lost last year. I and to just mix that with their ability or inability to knock down the three, I think it, it would be. I think it'd be far-fetched to think that he wouldn't want his, his team's ability to shoot the long ball to improve drastically this offseason. And obviously that's something that, you know, you can't just— you you can get only get so good knocking down open threes, then throw yourself in a game, it gets a lot more difficult. But I think if this team can improve their shooting, you know, maybe a couple of those close losses last year go the other way. So I think that, you know, that kind of stalled a couple of runs, too, that
2: kind of probably rubbed Archie the wrong way. So I, I hate to agree with you, but I, I think it's shooting. Well, and then Fitzner coming in too. So there's been a couple recruiting. We recruited a, a great scorer and Fitzner who can shoot, uh, you know, forty percent uh, in whatever role that he's going to have next year. So um, I think Michael were right because Archie got some points coming in just by recruiting. But I, I think you can develop that offensive uh, type of activity and skill a lot in the summer. I think from a defensive
1: perspective what'll be interesting is and it's it's a little bit it's a little bit odd way to test it but you know so much was made of the ramp up time to learn the pack line and all those things last year so this was kind of the first year where you now have a chance where there's some people that have been ingrained in the system that can start to pass that along to guys and how quick is that transfer process go now the hard part about doing that is you also now have you know five new players um that haven't done it before and the number of you know, you also lost five, you know, five seniors. So the, the amount of veterans that you have to teach that to the younger guys is probably less than it'll be in a number of seasons. But it'll be an interesting first test of, you know, and maybe he'll give some insight into this when he gives the uh, the talk at, uh, at Huber's here in about a week. Um, but it'll be interesting to kind of talk about how much time they spend on that, maybe in comparison to last year, if nothing else, just because everybody said last year well it has to be so much defense it's a totally new system it's all those kinds of things and to a certain extent that was blamed in some ways for the offensive struggles That there wasn't enough time to spend on that so maybe we're maybe we're all right and the fact that we, we there's less time to be spent uh installing defensive concepts that at least some of the team knows now as opposed to zero percent of the team knowing a year ago um will help to be able to spend a little bit more time on the, the things like shooting free throw shooting and all that that is a lot of repetition and things like that, but are you know at the end of the day, hopefully, going to win you some basketball game.
2: I, I'm just glad that the NCA has allowed more hours for the coaches to work. In, in in knowing and watching Archie, and then some of the guys that I know that uh, that work, these guys really like coaching and they like their players and they want their players to get better. And and you got to protect from you know too much time i know there are coaches out there that demand a lot and so there has to be some obvious protections from that but uh 4 hours a, a week at the college level where these guys are you know have a chance to go professional and do some things and and it's high level basketball that that's a move that i think uh, i can clap on on the nca and they really didn't add more they it used to be 6 in the weight room and 2 uh, on the course, so they just kind of reshuffled that uh, I think that's a good move, and I haven't been happy with the NCA for some time, but I will give them credit.
1: All right, you're listening to the Assembly Call. I'm Andy Bottoms here with Coach Brian Tonsoni and our student intern Michael Dugan. Uh, and before we get into your Twitter questions, I'm actually uh, stealing a question from the Minor Your Banners podcast, but I thought it was an interesting one. Some of these hypothetical things in the off season are uh, are good. So they sent a question about picking a player from this, one player from the '70s, '80s, '90s, 2000s, and then the current decade to make a starting five. So they're parameters that you needed to end up with some kind of you know you couldn't end up with five guards you need to end up with some kind of usable um lineup so where they landed on as best I could tell and they kind of went back and forth between uh Zach and Chronic Huger, uh George McGinnis Isaiah Thomas Calvert Chaney Eric Gordon and then they were kind of split uh from the uh from this decade on Cody Zeller and Depot. so I we don't have a ton of time left in this segment but didn't want to throw it out because I thought it was a good a good discussion point so uh Brian, what tweaks would you make uh to the lineup that they came up with? I, I know I listed some some options in our rundown, which I won't, you know, kind of read off for everybody, but any any swaps that you'd make uh with the huh. lineup that they came up with?
2: I'd probably swap them all out because I like all these guys, but but <laughs> the 70s the 70s are tough uh to pick. but I would swap Buckner for McGuinness because Buckner is my all time favorite Hoosier. Uh just from a captain standpoint, a leader. Uh, and I, that's when I was uh, growing up in middle school and watching them, uh, them win, uh, in 76. And then, so then you got to readjust all the others because then I'd love to take Isaiah too. But if I have Buckner at point guard, I'm not going to take Isaiah. So I'm probably going to take Woodson because we need shooting. And and then you you got to go with Chaney for scoring. So now you got three and then you got to go big. And so I'm thinking Jeffries and Cody, but how do you not pick Vic? So um, I probably would go with Jeffries as kind of a smaller post, and then play Vic Cheney, Woodson, and Buckner. But that speaks my age a little bit, where I'm a little bit biased to Woodson and Buckner. That's so, fair. so that's the I would swap them probably all out. There you go. I like it, Michael. What about you?
3: I like that starting five that that Brian just rattled off. I don't know. I was pretty still on the. I, I was pretty sold in terms of agreement on on the one that you read, Andy. But I don't know. I'm having to rethink this. I, it's, it's tough to leave out Oladipo, but you got Zeller and Jeffries that you could throw down low. I mean, that's a that's a tandem down low that I think would be pretty tough to 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 mess with um, if you're any opposing team ever. So, uh, Coach, I, I may have to go go and agree with you there. Uh, I, but this is I, this is tough. I could look at this, you know, 50 times and change my mind all 50 times at this. So whatever I say right now is probably going to change in 10 minutes anyway.
1: How yeah, about Scotty May? i know see that was that was what i thought could you play may as like a, a like a small ball four and then just you know uh you know because he was a he was a big enough guy that i think you do that yeah that it, what's funny is what brian said it's the domino effect of what you do because if you look at the 80s era like the, the names i have on here are all guards so it's i had isaiah woodson i don't really know if there were rules around guys who played you know in multiple decades um but I had Isaiah Woodson, Alford, and Jay Edwards as kind of the the guys that you might really go with there. So you know you're kind of locked into a guard there. In my head, you're pretty much locked into calvert Cheney in the uh, in the '90s, and so then you kind of work around what you've got left there. Um, but yeah, I thought the the May May and Buckner were the other two that I probably would have considered most from the uh, from the '70s, and then but yeah, what you do there uh, goes a long way. But I think, um, I, yeah, hard to go wrong. But a, a fun. A fun hypothetical for sure as you uh as you go through it so appreciate uh I, you know, being able to steal that question it was it was a good we question.
2: had to go we had to go cheney because jared would not let us be on the show if we don't pick his favorite player <laughs> yeah
1: yeah that would have so been if tough. I, I was if you'd wet greg graham in, there would have been a chance but yeah yeah but i don't yeah. i don't think he would have been on board with i that, mean
2: so. and there's bailey on there too i was there was a lot of pressure but i had to i appreciate jared allowing me to be on here so i had to go with cheney
1: all right well we're going to hit some more of, of your questions on Twitter here as we wrap up the show, so we'll do that when we come back. from break. You're listening to Assembly Call Radio. stick with us. Hello, and welcome back to the Assembly Call. I'm spilling in this week for Jared Morris, and I'm here with the coach, Brian Tonsoni, and our student intern, Michael Dugan. And... This is the part of the show we wanted to hit some Twitter questions. We, uh, we stole a question from our friends over at Mind Your Banners to close out the last segment. And we talked about we probably need to do a, a maybe second and or third team in that for, uh, for additional purposes, that we could you know pit the teams against one another and see what happens. Um, but uh, maybe, maybe we'll do that in another episode. It's a long off season, so we'll, uh, we'll see what we can hit. Uh, so the first question comes from East Coast Hoosier that says, what is the best part of doing an episode without Jared? Um, I honestly don't, I honestly don't know because from my perspective, it's a lot more work for me to make sure that I don't screw anything up and record things and, uh, and, uh, and not have all the, you know, fancy soundboard and stuff like that. So for me, I feel like I'm letting everyone down. So no part of it, uh, for me is easy. Um, perhaps for Brian and Michael, it would be the fact that he's not here that frees up a seat for them to get on. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that might be it. Um. East Coast Future did have a, a serious question though that said, "What would be your ideal three man, uh, three man class for next season?" That assumes that Romeo leaves um, as well. So, uh, Brian, I'll toss that one to you first. What's your ideal three man recruiting class of, of guys that are on the uh, on the radar for next season?
2: Yeah, really quickly, the the thing about Jared not being here is not worrying about what song or clip he's going to play that he has snuck in from his new soundboard. But uh, I'd like to see probably two bigs and a guard um and and from if that's right what would be your three man's recruiting class for next year and i know we're really hot on uh the the three bigs so um i don't know and and you always might have a, a situation where there's another uh scholarship open up but watford is is interesting um you know uh I, I would take whatever first two bigs wanted to commit, and then I would focus on on getting a guard because if Romeo leaves, you're going to need uh, a, a, an extra guard. So without naming names, that's the makeup probably that I would go. And and any of those four or five we have, we're looking at two guards and three post players. Take any of them in, uh, in that kind of combination. All right, Michael, what about you?
3: I agree completely. I think it starts with Watford. I think that's that's a pretty tough name to ignore in terms of Shear's recruiting class for obvious reasons. Uh, A couple of obvious reasons, actually. Um, I think it starts with him and and then maybe uh, Jackson Davis up in Greenwood. So, you know, I I think that those two big men are, are, are not essential, but they would definitely help this recruiting class. And then obviously, if if what's expected occurs, and Romeo leaves after one year, obviously you're going to need a guard to replace him. And, and Coach, like you said, there are a plethora of guards out there that are fully capable of, of contributing pretty early if they were to commit and come to Bloomington in two years. So um, I think it, start, it has to start with Watford and then, and then a trickle down from there. But they also have to address a likely vacant guard spot.
2: And Brooks might be able to play guard. I know teams are trying to sell him on being a two guard. So – Brooks might end up being a guard even though I'm classifying him as a big yeah I think that's a that's
1: like
3: a big two of, guard
1: yeah that's yeah. kind of a tipping that's kind of a tipping point for those guys for, for me because I've heard some of that too that, that people are trying to sell him on that um and so yeah I mean I would say you know maybe two of those three I think DJ Carton's is a name that that keeps coming up as a potential uh another guard I do think we you know one of the things we talked about this year everybody's excited about Romeo in the backcourt and, and fantasy, um but there's not a ton of of true guard depth on this year's roster as well. And, and knowing that you're likely to lose Romeo uh, certainly doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't make that any, any easier. Uh, all right. So the next question is from Chris. is uh, mentioning having one of our bigs in their mock lineups for next season. I'm wondering if we don't play small ball. Occasionally the lineup he threw out was Devonte Al Romeo, Justin Smith and Juwan. Um, Brian, I'll toss this one to you. Uh, we've got a minute or so left. Um, do you see, see Archie experimenting with some of those small ball lineups, particularly if, you know, Duran is still struggling to come back from injury?
2: Yeah, I, I, I do. Uh, I think that we played, I, I, I just think three guards is, is a way that college basketball is going some ways. Um, But again, with all of the the size and you can play positionless basketball, I don't know that we're going to say three guards versus this, but I think that was successful uh, during our run and kept us competitive against tough teams last year. So I think uh, that we're heading more towards the four and five that can be a rim runner uh, and a pick-and-pop shooter more so than a traditional post. I think that's the way uh, he's headed. So, yeah, I can see a small ball being part of it.
1: I think the interesting thing about the lineup, like, Like that, maybe not even that one, but the idea of playing small ball is that IU has so many guys in that kind of six seven range now. So maybe it's not Al that's the, um, you know, the the other guy on the floor. Maybe it's a a Jerome Hunter or somebody like that because I think you do have some options uh, in that regard. A couple other quick things um, that we'll we'll look to hit on next week. Um, May thirtieth is a, a big date for a couple reasons. It's when Archie talks at Huber's Winery, and it's also the deadline to withdraw from the draft. So people will certainly. Uh, be watching what Jawan does there. Um, but that is going to do it for us uh, this week on the assembly call. Uh, if you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our assembly call radio recording, or you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for assembly call, wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com slash join or text IU to six, six, eight, six, six to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again to talk IU hoops with you next week. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers.
0: Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the Assembly Call. We encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate... Another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you.
4: Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough.